1: Welcome, everyone, to another session of Gospel Reflections. I'm Tom DeAngelis, sitting in for David Abel, who is out of town this week. And I have with me today Don Gleichman, uh Tom Terrace, and Art O'Day. Welcome, gentlemen. Good morning, Tom. Hey, Good Tom. morning, Tom. And uh, if you will get your Bibles out, your New Testament, and we're going to be reading the Gospel for the fifth week of Lent. Uh, it's taken from John chapter 11, and it's the short version. So it's verse 3 to 7, 17, 20 to 27, and 33b to 45. Uh, and we'll uh, be skipping through that if you're going to be going through your through your Bible. So, uh, But to start out first, Don, would you offer a prayer to the Holy Spirit for us?
2: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the, Son, and the Holy, Holy
1: Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen.
2: We thank you, Lord, that we have such a God that he has asked us To call him father because he wants a relationship with us that's different than the relationship that Ishmael had with Abraham. It's different than other religions. He doesn't just want to be a master. He wants to be a father and thereby allow us to be members of his family through his covenant with us. Thank you, Lord, so much for sending your Holy Spirit to us. After you rose from the dead to prove that Jesus was God, you then sent us the advocate. The Holy Spirit on Pentecost to bring us unity in the body of Christ, and in this body of Christ and in this unity, praying for each other, we contemplate now on Your Word. May our contemplations and may our words be fruitful for the body of Christ.
1: Amen. Amen. Father and Son. And Tom, would you um, give us some? As David says, give us some gospel love. Sure,
3: Tom. Uh, Again, this is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter eleven. The sisters of Lazarus sent word to Jesus, saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise. Martha said, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. He became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. Now many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen what he had done began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise you,
0: Lord Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, the two things that jump out at me here when I first read through this and, and listen to you read, Tom, was, you know, that Jesus... Uh, loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, and then uh, when they brought him to the tomb, G- it says, "And Jesus wept." You know, that's that's profound. That's that's really a deep sense of of commitment. And then the other thing is the, you know, kind of the 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 clarity of the story, you know, the kind of the details here, like Martha, you know, she's a kind of a straight shooter anyway, but she said, you know, it's, it's been four days, Lord, there's, there's going to be a stench, you know, don't take the stone away. But, uh, but he, he says, you know, have faith and she, and she professes her faith in him. Can you imagine what it must've been like to recognize, to, to be in the presence of, of Jesus and to have these kinds of things go on? I mean, what it must've been like, um, to just recognize that here is somebody who um, <clears throat> I, I've come to believe is the Son of God because he he can raise people from the dead. He already did, and and I believe he can do this too. And 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 he does, you know. So um, what a, what a great uh, profound experience it must have been as a human being. The, the, I think this gospel ties
4: very nicely with the last. Gospel from the Sunday before and the Sunday before that, because it um, all three of those gospel or these gospels speak of faith, and you have um, you have the first one where the woman at the well she gained faith by hearing, Jesus revealed who he was to her, and he, she listened to Jesus, and then she took it to the community and she spoke to the community, and they believed, and then last week we have. Uh, um, The faith uh, that came out from the people that, or if you look at the Pharisees, the faith did not come out. It had the opposite effect. Um, But uh, faith leading to conversion of heart. And you watch, you see the blind man. He went from believing that Jesus was a man, and then he professes that Jesus is a prophet, and then at the end, he is worshiping Jesus as God. Mm -hmm. So you have that progression of faith in the blind man. And then you have here, you have the culmination of faith. Faith, What does faith lead to? It leads to resurrection. You know, things that we we were hoping for at the end of our life, you know? Um, So all three of those tie in wonderfully together. Um, and you brought up Jesus wept. Um, it shows that you know the belief that we have that Jesus is both man and divine. I mean, that's mm-hmm. such a human devo- devo- um, yeah. emotion, just you know, to weep over the death of a, of a loved one. Um, you know, Lazarus was like a brother to him, mm-hmm. and uh, so he's torn apart by the thought of the death of his of his might be his best friend. Who knows? Yeah. Um, and then, uh, but then he's going to show his divinity. He's going to show his divinity by raising him from the dead. So you know, again, a very rich gospel. So much is going on. I mean, uh, c- can we extend the show, Michael, for an, for two hours so that we can go through everything that's in this gospel? Um, it's just a just a wonderful, one, wonderful tale.
2: One thing that's always very much impressed me was when Lazarus came out of the tomb. The first thing that Jesus said was, "Untie him." unbind him. And I, we had discussed a couple weeks ago what that meant and in another Bible study. And, and I think about my own life, and I think in many ways that is two things. First of all, the habits that I've developed that are bad, especially those habits that I had when I was younger, that have in a way stained my, my soul, that I continually try to fight against, and get rid of. But here he was still bound by those. And how was he bound? His soul was still stained. And the second way of looking at it is, in a way, it's natural sin. It's the original sin that we inherited from Adam Eve. Because we're, we're sort of born that way with that big, huge stain that we call original sin. And so, in a way, this seemed like a type of Reconciliation. Jesus is saying to, saying to them, unbind him. Somewhat like God said to Adam and Eve in, in the garden, where are you? If they'd said, we're over here, we did something really bad, could you forgive us for that? It wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have gotten original sin. But instead, Lazarus is still bound. But by unbinding him, he can come to Jesus now unfettered and that's what we get in the in the sacrament of reconciliation we have our sins absorbed from us take off my take off my my wrappings now father i have sinned forgive me for my sins lord i have offended you please take off my bindings
1: that's a nice way of looking at it you know um i'm sure some of you guys are familiar with pastor al from over at our oh, yeah. gospel reflection mm-hmm. on wednesday mornings at the uh, Ironstone Ranch. And I, I love, and it brings to mind when you're talking about un, unbinding and untying, he, he uh, you know, Pastor Al has these pithy little ways of, of, you know, succinctly summing these things up. And he said, you know, I can't raise from the dead, but I can help, un, I can help take off grave clothes, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can, I can't do what Jesus did, but I can sure help him. You know, I can I can sure do that. When he says, you know, untie him and let him go, I can go over and help out with that. And I, I just always thought that was such uh, like a humble thing. Um, but also, I mean, somebody did need to untie him. You know, somebody needed to be there to, to, to kind of make, make the miracle work, you know, complete it. You know, I mean, it was there. Lazarus was risen, but, uh, but he's still bound, as you said, Don. So, you know, I can't raise from the dead, but I can take off grave clothes, you know. <laughs>
2: And if we talk about the body of Christ and how the body of Christ is all of those of us who believe in Jesus Christ and feel united in his church, it relates to another part of the scripture where it says, take away the stone. What stone? Well, if if you know that there is a way to get away from your, your being bound to something, if there's a way to get away from sin, that is to have the stone removed— then you approach it. If you don't know there's a way to get away from it, you just sort of suck your thumb and say, woe is me and and too bad, I'm lost. But we can yeah. take the stone away by saying to a person, there is a way out of your sin, and that's to admit your sin to God. It's if, if we don't take that first step ourselves, which is to remove that stone or to take advantage of the stone being removed for us, then we can never be unbound. We're still wrapped up and we're still in the tomb.
3: Mm-hmm. And this... Uh kind of what what you're saying, Don, and then what you said, Art, about faith, the impossibility of this situation, like he's been dead four days, it's over, forget it, you know, like you can't do anything, and when you look on, on our own lives, the stuff that we look at, like, that'll never happen for me, I'll never be happy, I'll never meet the love of my life, whatever it is, it's impossible, you know, we see clearly in this that he's been dead four days, yet God can mm-hmm. do the impossible and and raise, you know, a dead person back to life. So even in, in our own lives, those loved ones who have been away from the church for 40 years, you know, yeah. there's still a chance for them, even though the, the if you use the word stench of the sin <laughs> in their soul, God can take that away even after 40, 50 years. So yeah. I guess my point is that there's that statement, "There's nothing will be impossible for God is 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 like evident in this reading
1: yeah it's interesting too cuz when you were just saying that tom it 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 made me remember um, times when things were desperate and where, you know, you kind of got to a point where you said, oh, this is never going to happen. It's never, never going to happen. But somehow or another, you just kept plodding and you kept going ahead. But I have noticed over the years, over many years, I mean, because I even remember kind of stumbling on this uh, this awareness in high school. And I don't know that it's borne out so much in the scriptures as it just seems to be part of my experience. But I do see some of that here with Mary, where he, Jesus says, you know, do you believe in me? She says, yes, I believe in you. And then he goes to, to raise Lazarus and sh- now she's pushing back. I mean, she's kind of like, "You, you can't. It, it's oh, gonna be yeah. a stench, it won't work. So there's that faith, there's that belief in the possibility, there's that belief, there's that love, There's that, but there's also a point where you say, it's, look, it's over, it's over. And then God comes in right when you least expect it. And that seems to happen more often than not. There's, there's an element, there's like a substrata of faith there that you never really give up but it, but it, you get to a point where you kind of look at it real. You say, I got to be realistic. It's over, you know. And then God and then God comes through right at the point. A lot of times where you where you've you've overtly given up. You know, you kind of outwardly said it's never going to happen, and then it does. Yeah. But but if you keep plodding along, a lot of times God will keep saying, Well, I want to see how how much faith you really have. How far you're going to go, and then you get to a point. You say, This is it. I just, I really don't think it's going to go any further. I really don't think this is going to be able to happen, you know. So, in the one paragraph she says, "I believe in you," and In another paragraph she says, "Lord, this is this isn't going to work," you know. It's a stench, <laughs> you know. So there is that there's that tension there. There's that sense of that belief that that relate grows out of that relationship over time with Jesus. But there's also maybe this isn't going to work, you know. Maybe this isn't isn't going to happen. So I don't know you can also think about it on
4: cultural on a cultural level you know um, you know the whole god is dead movement you know i I, yeah. I think this i think this culture of ours would like to keep jesus in the tomb and keep <laughs> that rock in front of them. you know this there's, there's, there's so much um, image of, of of jesus's death and resurrection here i mean you know even just the binding cloths i mean when you stop and think about um, how they buried people you know you have you have the long shroud and the, on the back and then over the over the top of the body and then they they put the binding cloths around it you know it took jesus Jesus, you know, to, to to resurrect Lazarus, you know, and had to untie the knots. But, you know, when you go into the tomb that Jesus was, those knots were not untied. No one needs to untie him. He was perfect. You know, mm-hmm. he just rose right out through the shroud um, and and into his glory. And, you know, he promises that kind of, I think that's what we're saying, you know, mm-hmm. through, through the forgiveness of, of the sin, you know, the power of, of confession, you know, a power of taking uh, your sins to God and asking for forgiveness. Um, You know, the, 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 the binding clots can be unknotted you know but the culture wants to say that you can't do it. it's, it's, it's not over. I mean you, you and I go to um, that man as you on Saturday. Mm-hmm. And how much do they talk about you know the, the, the culture today that takes men and put men into into the culture that they get tied and by things like you know pornography mm-hmm. or um, just chasing after money you know and, mm-hmm. and making that more important than, than family and, 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 and God? You know, no time for God, no time for, for family. Uh, we're chasing money, you know. And, we, and, and the culture says, well, you're taking care of your family that way. Well, what about your time? Yeah. You know? And so we, we kind of believe that there's no way out, you mm-hmm. know? Or worse yet, hearts become hardened and you don't see the way out. You don't see it when the yeah. rock gets pushed back and God is saying, hey, you know, would you like me to take those knots off too? You know, so what binds? I mean, we all have to ask us, this is Lent. We all have to ask each other, what is it binding us, Mm -hmm. you know? And what is pushing that rock in front of the tomb that we put ourselves in that we we think that we can't get out? Mm -hmm. Or we think
3: that God doesn't care. But in this gospel, we see how God cares. He wept, you Mm -hmm. know, he's perturbed. So he he cares about our situation or not or whatever it is that's hurting us
2: in a men's bible study this morning we were considering a chapter of john a little bit further advanced where where jesus spoke about how um a woman in childbirth is in such pain it's so horrible it's terrible but the moment the baby is born she forgets all about the pain and 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 the baby is there and, and and when you look at it this way uh In that way, women always have sort of an out, don't they? I mean, they always know there's an end to it. But then I thought to myself, hold it. There really isn't anything in my life that isn't part of God's plan. There isn't one situation in which I can't call upon God to make sense of something, to make it turn into joy— And then we started talking about some secular things. And, you know, in a secular life, there really isn't anything smiley or or, or joyful. We were talking about a recent event that happened, and I won't go back into it because it's negative. But how could you possibly find joy in that horrible thing that just happened? The joy that can be found is the way in which we react to things. Suppose every time something bad faced us as men here, We thought, even though we haven't been in childbirth and don't have that knowledge that there's always something beautiful at the end of childbirth, if we didn't face our problem and say, God's got control of this, therefore it won't turn out badly as long as I look at it correctly. It'll turn out with the same kind of joy that a woman has as when she holds the new baby sucking against her breast. Wouldn't it be nice if we looked at all of our problems as, thank you, Lord, for whatever that was, help me to understand what that was and how it's going to affect my life and make it work better for you and for the church? It's a difference between Christians and those who have no God and have
1: no hope. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I've, I've often thought, relative to that point, Don, because I do think there's a sense of that, you know, that Adam and Eve, um, you know, taking the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that was, that was. you know, they kind of reached out, took it, and they disobeyed God. And and that's true. That That's exactly how it happens. But if you think about, to the point you made before, is that God created everything good, it's not so much that they that they did something wrong it's that the knowledge of good and evil is is i take upon myself the ability to define for myself what i like about your creation and what i don't like about your creation when it was all created good So now all of a sudden God says, be fruitful and multiply, cultivate the earth. Now that becomes work by the sweat of your brow. That becomes a pain of childbirth. It becomes maybe they weren't all that different. It's just that people approach them different. So maybe everything, and we kind of look at that now that Jesus has redeemed pain, sin, death, suffering. It can all be offered up as part of our, you know, sacrifice to the Lord. But also that, you know, it, there is a way. You know, back when Adam and Eve kind of took the took the fruit and said, "Yes, we're going to define for ourselves what's good and evil." And by the way, there are some things in this creation that you created that I just don't like. You know, and I'm going to define those things as evil. And where and God's kind of looking at it and saying, but, "But wait a minute, I created this all good." You know that childbirth? No, no, that's good. That's good. You're gonna like that. You're gonna when when you see the child, when you hold that child in your arm, it's gonna be that ecstatic experience. But we tend to think about the pain, the suffering, the sweat. You know, we're cultivating not the fruit that comes from the ground. You know, so there is that sense of like, maybe things aren't that bad after all. Maybe we just need to change our perspective. We change our heart. Maybe we need to look at God as being the provider and all the things that we tend to look at, the flat tires and the people cutting you off in traffic and somebody, you know, Um, you know, irritating you at a gospel reflection or something, all those things we need to look at and say, thank you, Lord, you know, and and we just don't do that. I mean, I don't do that. So, you know, maybe other people do, but I I think that's part of um, exactly what you're saying is embracing, you know, the gift of God and saying, thank you very much for this, even though some of it I don't particularly care for, but I'm going to take it all just the way you delivered it. And that's the that's the faith. That's a hard thing to believe, I think, for us, you know, historical people caught up in, <clears throat> you know, the concupiscence and not having everything kind of worked out for us like it was in the garden. Why yeah. is it when God says to us, hold
2: on now, I've got an eternal perspective. I look at all time in one—I look at everything in one time. It, it, it's all, it all is one big picture. Yeah. And I can see it this way. Why do we always say to him, yeah, but this is the way I'm looking at it. Yeah. Uh, hold it. What do you mean, why can't we look at things the way God does and say, we have to trust in him. We have to believe in him through Mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit that everything will work out well because it is God's plan. And I think about those horrible, horrible things that I see around me that if I approach them in the correct way, they can also give glory to God. Mm -hmm.
3: I think the practice of the virtues also helps to— you know, sort of live what you're saying, you know, like if we can learn prudence and temperance and all that, that we're able to then see, you know, through the mind of God.
1: Yeah, because a lot of those virtues are basically learning to deal with the reality that God presented to us. You know, having the strength, having the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to be able to understand things the way that God created them to be, rather than to your point, Don. And I think it's, not, it's no accident that Pope John Paul, when he wrote the Theology of the Body, took, you know, after the sin, after the fall of man, uh, he puts humankind in this in this time period called historical perspective. In other words, there is time now and that there will be the eschatological man, which will be when we're caught up in this, you know, in the, uh, in the second coming. But historically, I mean, prior to that, it was just this sense of being in God's presence and there is no time. I mean, Maybe there was a duration, maybe things went by, but, you know, it's like when you get so absorbed in a book, or, you know, if you play a musical instrument, you could be caught up in that. Some people get, like, runner's high, it's when time, and it's like time kind of stops, you know, it's like it's not there anymore, so and i think that's part of it i think that's part of our experience of it so
4: we need to talk more about the virtues i think yeah. i think that's what you're saying right yeah. tom yeah. yeah you know we we talk a lot about sin but what's the what's the anecdote for sin yeah. you know it's the virtues obviously we see faith in this story but i'm sure there is others mm-hmm. you know um what is what? What what leads us to faith? You know, what what are the good things that we do? I mean, we have a period of Lent, where we do um, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. You know, I like to work at it backwards. If I if I do some alms giving, okay. I don't have the resources, okay. So that's gonna that's automatically a fast right there. <laughs> yeah. And then if and then what am I going to do with the time I've got? I can't go out and do this. So I get, well, why don't I pray a little more? You know. <laughs> yeah. So you know, kind of kind of helps you, kind of helps you out when you look at things like that with the virtues. I, yeah. I think that's a great thing to think when about. When we look at life.
2: time, uh, the as David says, the past is in God's mercy. To go there only causes despair. The future is in God's providence. To go there causes you to play God. The present is God's gift to be lived in love.
1: And I think that can be our closing prayer, Don. I appreciate that. And um, I hope everybody has a uh, great fifth uh, week of Lent as we approach Holy Week. We'll be approaching Holy Week uh, the week after that. And uh, that all of the things that <clears throat> that um, we you know, hopefully help stimulate in your thinking and your faith uh, around the gospels that you'll break open the word of God often and realize that it's not just uh, ink on a page. It's actually a person and it can touch you and transform you. So with that, God bless you all.
0: Reflections from the Heart has been presented by Stewardship, a Mission of Faith. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged as you listen to Reflections from the Heart. If so, you might consider participating in a Gospel Reflection Group. For information on locations and times of Gospel Reflection Groups, or how to start a Gospel Reflection Group in your area, please visit our website at stewardshipmission.org and click on at 717-367-0100. On behalf of David and the staff here at Stewardship, A Mission of Faith, thank you for listening. And until next time, may God bless, protect, and guide you on your journey home to Him.